Well, this morning we will begin in Luke chapter 24, looking at verses 1 through 12. And then, very soon, we will shift over to Romans chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and get that ready, we'll do that. I want to draw your attention as we start to a little chart that's in your bulletin and your notes this morning. And here we have laid out what's normally called the Passion Week. Um, We have Sunday through Sunday. And we have, as we discussed last week on the first day on Sunday, we have Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, if you were here with us last week. And I have Slash Monday there because if you have questions about that, see John MacArthur's notes is what I'd recommend to you. Uh, he, think, he thinks it was actually on Monday, so uh, see him for that. So uh, uh, there's some of the passages, though, that tell us about the triumphal entry. And then on Tuesday, we have teaching and parables, and, and you can find that in the text given. Wednesday begins the plot to kill Jesus. Now, it begins the narrative of the plot to kill Jesus. Of course, we know it's been... Uh, happening for quite some time, but uh, Judas uh, agrees to go and betray Jesus, and they work out that arrangement. The next we see Thursday, the Last Supper, and betrayal. Friday, of course, Jesus is crucified. We know that happens between 12 and 3. And Saturday, the Sabbath is observed, and that's all that happens, silence. And then finally, Sunday, we have the resurrection. And that's where we pick up in our text this morning. So if we can look back just yesterday, yesterday would have been Saturday, would have been the Sabbath. And they observed the Sabbath, there was nothing said, nothing done. And so it picks up Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. And taking spices they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They had anticipated to go into the tomb and prepare his body for burial officially. Of course, they couldn't do that on Saturday, so they rested. They waited. And when they went in to find him to prepare his body, they they found that the the seal of the tomb had been rolled away. And while they were perplexed, verse 4, about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened. And they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not there, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to this. But their words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Verse 12, But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb, and stooping in and looking, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, Jesus had been teaching about his resurrection. This was nothing new. He'd been telling them, the Son of Man must die, and on the third day he will rise again. But still, 
But still, they thought, no, Let, let's go prepare his body. It's been a few days. Let's go prepare his body. And they went and they didn't find Jesus. Where is he? And then so the women were astonished, and they go and they tell, they tell the rest of the apostles, of course, the 11. Uh, Judas, by this time, is, is not one of them for obvious reasons. And so they go and they tell the 11, and they say, yeah, that's a good story, but... You know, I don't know if something with your depression has made your mind go crazy, but this is, you have just made this up. Uh, this didn't really happen. It seemed to them an idle tale, just a fairy tale. But anyway, they went to confirm that their story was false. And what did they find? That the tomb was empty. And, they, and it says Peter stooped in, of course, because the grave was low. And so he stooped in and he looked and make sure. And all he saw were the cloths there. And it says, he rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping in, he looked, the cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And you might say, well, why? It's, this is what Jesus told them was going to happen. Why do you find this so hard to believe? Jesus has been telling you that this is what he's going to do. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was very difficult for them to come to terms with. What I want to argue to you this morning, what I want to challenge, is your belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you in that today. You might say, well, I, I know that Jesus raised from the dead. I, I believe that. I want to challenge that. I want to know if you actually truly believe that he was raised from the dead. Let's look at some of the words that, were, that, we, that we know that this was more of a challenge for them. Of course, the women didn't know. And then once the angels told them, they, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Jesus said a lot of stuff. I guess I forgot about that part. So they remembered. But if we look, uh, for example, John 20, verse 9, I'll read these for you. You can make a little note. Um, but John 20, verse 9 says, For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Many believe that's, that's in reference to he will not allow his holy one to see corruption. Right? Peter and John go to the tomb, as told from John's account. John admits that they did not yet understand the words that Jesus spoke to them. So Jesus said very plainly, I will be raised from the dead. But they didn't understand. Now, if we just pause for a second, that's really easy for us to understand, right? Because how many times do we read the words of Jesus and say, yeah, I don't understand what that means? So with all the words that Jesus spoke to them, can't you see how maybe they would have thought, I don't, I don't, this guy, I don't know what all he's saying. I know it's all good. I just, I, don't, I, I can't really understand it. So we can sympathize with that, right? That they didn't quite understand yet. Okay, so John admits they didn't understand. Mary stayed in John's account after John and Peter go back, and they marveled at what happened. It says they went back home. But in John's account, we know that Mary stayed behind. She stayed, and uh, Jesus appeared to her. You can find that in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Now, she thought he was the gardener, and she asked him, where have you taken his body? Please, will you please just tell me? I want to know. It's my Lord. And he says, Mary. And she turns around, she says, oh, didn't realize it was you. Of course, because he had been changed, clearly. There's another unwritten account of Jesus appearing to Peter, we don't have the narrative of that account. You find that in Luke 24, 34, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, says that he appeared to Simon Peter. 
Okay, but we don't have that narrative written for us. But we know that it happened. Next, what we see happening is the, there's the walk, the road to Emmaus. And it's two people. And uh, there's a little bit of work to be done here to find out who these two people are. Uh, Cleopas and another person. And many believe it was his wife. Cleopas and his wife... Um, who were walking along, if you want to know more about that, John 19.25, uh, you can look at that text. Um, but here's some of the words from that account. So two people were on the road walking to Emmaus, possibly, it definitely is Cleopas, possibly him and his wife. Okay, They're walking on this road to this small city, and, and uh, a man comes and joins them on their walk, Luke 24.21, and they begin telling them, telling this guy what all they're talking about. You haven't heard about all the ruckus with this guy being crucified? Well, let me tell you. And they say, uh, Luke 24, 21, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all these things happened. In other words, we're really disappointed. You know, we hoped that he was going to be the guy. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but, you know, he's been dead three days, and I guess that's over. Luke 24, 25, and 26, And he said to them, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer for these things and then enter into his glory? And then we continue on, Luke 24, 32 through 34. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered, and they said, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon Peter. I guess we'll believe him after all. Okay, so we understand these stories, right? But in every one of the accounts, when Jesus appears or people try to come to terms with the resurrection, what is their immediate response? I, I don't really think that it happens. Hard to believe. The resurrection from the dead, is that not a hard thing to believe? Really? That someone rose from, they were like dead, dead. Jesus was dead. And he rose back to life. And he has not died again like I used to think when I was little, right? He stayed alive forever, and he lives today. Do you actually believe that? And so they come to the room where they were gathered, and here's what happens there. This is the last part of the story we're going to go to. Luke 24, 36 through 38. And as they were talking, so the two people who are on the road to Emmaus, they go to where the 11 apostles are and all the people with them, and they walk in, and they say, you never believe what happened. We were on the road to Emmaus, and this guy appeared to us. Turns out it was actually Jesus. Let me, let me tell you what he said. He actually has risen from the dead. And so as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Luke 24, 41. And they still disbelieved for joy, and they were marveling. And so he said to them, have you anything to eat? Let me try to prove it to you further. Okay, a spirit doesn't have a body and bones like I do. Look, okay, touch my side. Can you tell that I'm real? I thought they saw a little ghost. All right, they were troubled. They were terrified. Again, don't you know that these, Peter is included in, in the 11, right? John is included in the Do you remember the amazing things that they have experienced with Jesus? But yet they still find it hard to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Even after he's standing right in front of their face. And they still disbelieved. 
Now, did they come to believe? Well, absolutely. Sure they did. It took a little while for them to come around to that, though, didn't it? They were just, they marveled. They said, how, can this, how can these things be? It is difficult to come to terms with the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that it's not a fairy tale. Do you know that this is one of the most amazing things, the most amazing thing that has ever happened? And the thing is that it's a true story. It's not made up. Do you believe? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And we'll spend our, our second portion or maybe two-thirds of our time here in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. See what it says. Because if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, let's think about this in terms of Easter morning, okay? Look at verse 9. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Got that part, okay. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, we need to find this wording peculiar because it does not say believe in your heart that he is the Messiah. Believe in your heart that he was who he said he was. Believe in your heart that he actually lived a physical life on earth. You know, they all saw him with their eyes. They didn't have to try to believe that. They knew that he existed. It wasn't debated at that time like it is today. But believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, even if you didn't see him raised from the dead with your own eyes. But even those who did see him raised with their own eyes, they still struggled with belief, didn't they? But here's what it says. Paul tells us, if you, here's kind of an equation. If you, one, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and in partnership with that, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so come back a little bit. If we don't have both of these things working together, confessing Jesus is Lord and believing that he raised from the dead, you do not have salvation. You can't take one of those parts of the equation away. I will tell you that all over the United States and many parts of the world, Jesus Christ, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is being told right now, just like we are. Okay, maybe different time zones and things like that, I understand. But it's Easter morning. The story of the resurrection is being proclaimed. And many people will say, okay, I've heard this story a million times. I go to church every Easter, and I hear the same story over and over. I, I understand that Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, move on to something more important or more significant. There is nothing more significant. There is nothing more significant than Jesus Christ, Him crucified, but along with His crucifixion comes what? His resurrection. No point in the crucifixion if He wasn't raised. Believe in your hearts that God raised Him from the dead. Let's look at two points here. Number one, we're going to start with the second half of the equation, the resurrection of the dead. Of, of Jesus is from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus, believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead. And you might say, okay, check. 
listen, I believe that. I don't believe any of these other little stories and stuff, but I believe that at least. What is belief? What is belief from the heart? We have to ask those questions. What is belief? Well, we've, if, if you're a regular here, we've talked about these things, and you probably forgot, and that's okay. But there are three different things, three different things to consider when we talk about belief. The first is knowledge. Okay, to have the knowledge of something is to have the data, right? I, I have the information, okay? Many people in my family, of whom I saw this past weekend, have the data of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, to have the information, does that mean to believe it? No, it does not. But is the data necessary for belief? Well, well, yeah, how can I believe in something I don't know about? So I have to have the data, but just having the data of the resurrection doesn't mean I believe. Okay, so what's, what, what else is there? There is assent, that is agreement. Agreement that the information is true. Okay, so I have the data. The next step is I need to say, okay, yeah, I think that's true. That's, that's probably the case. Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, I agree. Does saying that Jesus was raised from the dead and I agree with the information, is that belief? It's still not belief. Do you know why? Even the demons believe. Did you have to convince the demons that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was crucified, that he died, and that he rose again? No, Satan knows that. He knows it better than you do. So that's, that's, that's not belief. So then what is belief? There is a third part. Now, do you have to have that? Do you need to say it's true? You have to have the information about it. I have to know about it. I have to say, yes, it's true, but then there is another element to it. And what is that? Personal trust in the information. I not only believe it's true that it actually happened, but I place my confidence and my trust in it. Now, do the, do the demons do that? No, absolutely not. They say, yeah, it happened, but here's what we're going to do about it. Now, they fail every time, but they still think they have a plan because they don't know how things are actually going to end, right? They don't have all the knowledge as God does. That's another conversation. But you need to have personal confidence and trust, but it does not only proceed from the mind, but it proceeds from where? From the heart. Now, you might say, well, my heart is an organ in my body that pumps blood. I understand. You know what? The, the authors of Scripture understood that too, okay? Uh, we're not going to minimize the fact that we all say, I feel it in my heart. You know, you, you know what the Scriptures are talking about. You're not fooling anybody. You know what it means to believe in your heart. But that's what we have to believe, right? It's belief in the heart. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe in your mind? Got the information. Check. I believe it. Is that what he's talking about? No, it's belief from the heart that God raised him from the dead. Same thing as 2 Corinthians 9.7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. As each one has decided in his own mind, as each one has decided in his heart, So the heart can make a decision. Your heart makes decisions. Did you know that? The heart is able to tell of the true desires, the true longings, 
and the true intentions that you have. The heart speaks to true internal consciousness, if you want to look at it that way. What really is. Do you, is it hard for you to come to terms with what really is in your heart? Does sometimes your heart is one thing, but your mind tries to tell you that it is something or wants to be something different? Do you feel a battle there? Well, I hope you do because that's called sin and, and sanctification. Okay, if you don't sense a battle between what you want to do and what you want to do, you understand what I mean by that? If you don't sense that battle in your life, there's a big problem. Paul had that battle. You should be having that battle. True intentions, true longings, true desires. Who is it who knows the true desires of our heart? God alone. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, and I give to every man according to his ways, to the fruits of his deeds. It says in verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, I hope that there is a problem for you with, with that passage because it says that with the heart one is justified, when the mouth confesses, you're actually saved. Is there a difference between being justified and being saved? Yes. Can you be saved without being justified? No. Can you be justified without being saved? No. But they are different. Otherwise, they'd be the same word. What does it mean to be justified? Justification falls under the larger umbrella of salvation. We remember that our salvation works in three phases, past, present, future, or we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, or think of it in terms of sanctification, becoming more like Christ by His Spirit, right? He has saved us, He is saving us, He will save us, or He has sanctified us through Christ, He is sanctifying us by His Spirit, and He will fully sanctify us one day in glory. Okay? I hope one of those made sense to you. There is a past, present, and future to our salvation. The past part of our salvation is our justification, our stance before God. It's a legal term. Are you either innocent or guilty before God? Justification says you are innocent because all of your guilt fell on Christ, and He took the punishment that you should have paid. So now your status before God is justified, even though you are still a sinner because He is still sanctifying you to become more like himself. Okay, so it's a change in status. You once were guilty, but now through Christ and faith in Christ, you are innocent. But it doesn't necessarily have the wording faith in Christ. What does it say in, in, in Romans 10, 10? For with the heart one believes and is justified. For with the heart one believes what? That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's the context. You can't remove it from that. For with the heart one believes that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And if you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, from your heart you will be justified. And if your mouth confesses him as Lord, you will be saved. So what is he telling us? Because the resurrection from the dead... All right, let me, let me ask this question. Why does belief in the resurrection produce justification? I want you to ask that question. Why does belief in the resurrection produce your justification? 
I'll read a couple verses while we're considering that. Acts 2, 23 and 24. For this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, you killed him by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosening the pains of death. Why or how? Well, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? I like asking why, because there's a lot of unanswered questions here with the resurrection of a person from the dead. And if I just believe that that person was raised from the dead, I am justified. So I kind of want to know about it. I don't know about you. Romans 1, 3 through 6, concerning his son, who descended from David according to the flesh, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Final, Acts 17, 30 through 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. If you want to boil it down, the reason belief in the resurrection from the dead is significant is because it proves that Jesus was who he said he was. It proves that Jesus was the very Son of God, God in the flesh. Can God die? You've watched superhero movies, okay? Can an immortal being die? No, that, that wouldn't make them immortal then, would it? God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. Can you kill God? No. Can death hold him? No. So what must have happened? He was raised from the dead. You can't kill God no matter how much you try. So we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Why? If you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, what are you truly believing? That he was the son of God. That's what you're believing. Because only the Son of God can be raised from the dead or by his power. The only reason we are raised from the dead is how? By the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead. That same Spirit then raises us from the dead. Okay? So belief in the resurrection from the heart says, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and I put my confidence and my trust in the fact that he was raised from the dead, and he lives today. Do you believe that? From the heart? Or do you just have the information in your head? We'll continue on. Here's the second portion. Here's, here's really the test to see if you truly believe from your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Here it is. Here's the second part of the equation, the lordship of Jesus. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... This is what salvation is. You say, but I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And I, I, I remember a time back when I was like six, I said I accepted Jesus into my life and I was baptized. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. Don't fool yourself into thinking that is what it means. Okay? This is not a one-time past action, but is the way you live your life. He is my Lord yesterday, today, and forever. We confess Jesus as Lord every day, every minute, every second. Now, do we live as his perfect subjects all the time? No, I certainly don't. I doubt that you do, but you know that. Here's what it says. If you believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and what happens? With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay, so the heart action, there is a mouth action. But what does this have to do with anything? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead? If so, then you are living daily as if he is your Lord. If you reject his lordship, you are rejecting him as savior. You can't create a God that you like because that's no God at all. That's idolatry. If you remove the lordship of Jesus, you have removed the Lord. Let's talk about it a little bit. Acts 2, 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. How? By raising him from the dead. It's amazing, isn't it? Both Lord and Christ. Why two different terms? Well, he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one, but he is also your Lord. Okay? You know what the Lord does? You live in his world. And he tells you what to do and not do, and he is the one that you serve. You are his subject. If you want to think of a term of slave, that's okay. Doulos, that's the word that, that, that the New Testament uses for it. Okay? We are, his, we, are, we are his, and we do whatever he commands us. He is our Lord. He sets the rules. Okay? He gives us the way that we are to live our life every day. That means that you do not make the rules, but someone else does. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, but you don't believe that he sets the guidelines for the way you live and make decisions, the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you eat, then I don't think you actually believe that he was raised from the dead. Not from your heart. Because then you don't see him as the true son of God. Because if you did see him as the son of God, he would be your Lord every minute, every day. So I want to challenge you on your belief that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Do you believe it from your heart? A couple more verses here. Do you remember when we talked about, some of you are going to say this, this is crazy. But if you remember, I'm just going to, I'm going to help you to recall. Do you remember the Latin phrase, ex opere apparato? Does anybody in this room remember when we talked about that? Ex opere apparato is a, is a Catholic phrase that means in the working it has worked. And they believe that when you do something, all God wants is the deed. And that's it. That's what he wants. Okay? Take the mass. That's what he wants. He wants the deed. What doesn't he want or need? The heart. He needs the act, not the heart. Okay? Do you believe that's how God operates? That God, he just wants you to do stuff. Okay, maybe it makes sense for you. Maybe he just wants you to come to church on Easter because that's like the biggest, you know, Sunday of the year. Maybe he just wants you to come to church. So you think that by coming to church on Easter that that's what God wants from you. So like, check, okay, I, I did what Jesus wants me to do for the year or maybe Christmas, probably Mother's Day, but, you know, the big ones. <laughs> or maybe for you it's, well, I wrote my check to the church so that's what God wants me to do. So I did it. And that's what he likes. So I did it. Or I sang the songs. Or I didn't sing the songs if I didn't like it. Because that's what God would want me to do. Right? I dread, I dread, hey, I'm wearing a jacket this morning, people. Okay? I don't, if you're not normally here, I don't wear a jacket. I am today. Okay? Hey, I dress nice today. Right? Maybe that's what the Lord wants from me. I didn't say anything rude while I was at church. 
I'm going to talk rude later about the people at church, but I didn't do it while I was at church. Okay, maybe that's what the Lord wants from me. I think sometimes you believe in this little phrase, ex opere operato, that God just wants the deeds and not your heart. Did you know that God wants your heart? Did you know that's what he's after? He wants your heart. And if he has your heart, the deeds will follow. If he has your heart, the deeds will follow. But you're fooling yourself to think it's the other way around. Now, because he wants the heart, and the heart speaks to true intentions, listen to Luke 6.45. The good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and you believe that from your heart, what is your mouth going to do? It's going to confess him as Lord. Now, here's what some people have believed that to mean. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Oh, great. Check. Did it. I confessed it with my mouth. Is that what he wants? Or does he want your heart? And out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks it. That's what he wants, isn't it? This is what God wants. He wants your heart. But what does it say in our text? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, listen to what Jesus said. <clears throat> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. So we know now that it's not just a verbal expression that God is after. Again, what is he after? Your heart. Please leave today knowing that. God is after your heart. But then we have another passage, Luke, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Well, that sounds really promising until you hear someone who is not a believer and rejects Christianity with everything they have, and they can say, they can say the words, Jesus is Lord. So doesn't that prove to you? Doesn't that prove to you that he's not after a verbal expression, but he's after a heart change, submission of the heart to his lordship? And if your heart is in submission to his lordship, your mouth will confess it. And that is what He's after. And so we can make this statement. This is in your notes. The risen Savior saves only those who submit to his lordship. How can I know that's true? Well, because if you don't submit to his lordship, you're, you're proving that you don't truly believe that he is the son of God raised from the dead. Otherwise, if you actually believe that from your heart, you would be submitting to him. Now, if you submit to his lordship, is it necessary for salvation? Is it necessary that we, I was listening to a guy, man, this is a rant here, but I was listening to, I, I had a lot of time. I had to fly to Michigan this week and, and I had some time to listen to some podcast and I was listening to this guy. He's part of the NIFB, if you know what that is, the New Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. And uh, it was interesting, but there were some people trying to, uh, speak the gospel to him, and, and he was saying that repentance is not necessary for salvation. That all you have to do is have faith. That repentance is not necessary, but faith is necessary for salvation. But what do we know? Genuine faith does what? 
repents. But he can't see it. Genuine belief in the risen Savior produces what? A life that is in submission to his lordship. Okay, so you can't see this the other way around. You can't see it as I have to submit to everything Jesus ever taught. What does that turn into? It's what we call legalism, right? Do, 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 do all this stuff. And don't do all this stuff. You can make a list. That's legalism. What is God after? A set of rules or your heart? He is after your heart's submission to him as Lord. And if you truly, genuinely believe from your heart that God raised him from the dead and he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and he lives right now in this moment, he is alive. If he was who he said he was, what must I do? Submit to his lordship. I have to. And if you don't see the necessity to submit to the lordship of Christ in your life, then I would suggest to you that you don't truly believe that he was raised from the dead. Now, is it a struggle? Is it a struggle to submit to his lordship? Well, sure. Do we submit to his lordship perfectly? No. But again, is that what we're talking about? That's not, that's not it. We don't get hung up on those details. There's a process. We are being saved. He is making us more like him. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call him Lord, but yet not do what he says? Again, if your heart doesn't care, that's when you're in trouble. If you know you're in the wrong and your heart cares, that's where he wants you to be. He doesn't need you to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. You can't be perfect, in fact. If you could, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need Easter Sunday if you could be perfect. But thank goodness we can rest in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And that is why we're here this morning. We're here to serve a risen Savior who is our Lord. And we submit to him. And we don't do it perfectly. But we live a life in submission to him. And when we sin, as 1 John 1, 9 says, we confess our sins. And you know what? He is faithful to us. He is faithful and just in Jesus Christ to us. Thank goodness. I need that. I need it every day. So the Christian life is not one of perfection. It's one who rests in the perfection of Jesus Christ. A person who genuinely believes from the heart that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has happened will naturally submit to his lordship because they can do nothing else. And so in that, I want to challenge you this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, today is the day to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Today is the day to confess your sin to him, that you have fallen short of being a servant of his. I can remember the day when the gospel first became clear to me. Who knows how many times I had heard the gospel in my life, but at one point in my life, it became personal to me. And I thought, so Jesus died for me 
Because I'd always heard he died for the whole world, and it was just a very blanket general statement. He died for me. And I need to have faith in him and trust that he has been raised from the dead because he is the Son of God. If he stayed dead, then there is no atonement for sins because he was not the Son of God. But his resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. If you're struggling with historical data, we have four different accounts. We have many extra-biblical or texts outside of the Bible that say that there was a man named Jesus. Many of these people died in their belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, that'd be a pretty big lie to tell. Would you go to death for a lie? Would you be tortured for something you knew to be false? You just made the story up. Jesus Christ lived, and he died, and he rose from the dead. That really happened. Can you wrap your mind? It really happened. He really raised from the dead. And he is alive today. Today, our Savior is living. And he will return for us. Is that where your hope is? Is your hope